When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Welcome back to The Dirt Show. We are really on our roll. Uh, another uh, six-figure uh, viewership the other day. Obviously, people are really fascinated by the upcoming trials of Donald Trump. And this podcast is the place you're going to get a completely straight, honest, direct expert analysis of everything that's going on. Um, I'm not advocating a particular result. I'm not engaging in wishful thinking. I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm giving you an analysis. I'm giving you an analysis based on 60 years of experience, including representing a lot, a lot of political people, um, mostly Democrats up to now. Ted Kennedy, Bill Clinton, um, various senators, Senator Alan Cranston, uh, members of Congress, um, a prime minister of Israel. So, I really know of what I speak when it comes to these kinds of uh, political uh, cases. The mixture of law and politics is really my area of expertise. So if you want to know what's really going on and your friends want to know what's really going on, um, you know, tell them to, 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 to listen. Look, I predicted all of this in my book, Get Trump. Uh, I don't want to be braggadocio or anything like that, but I predicted all of these indictments and so far, I've gotten all my predictions right now because I'm any smarter than the CNN characters, but because I don't engage in wishful thinking. Uh, I tell you what my analysis reveals. I, I don't tell you what I want to have happen. I tell you what I think will happen. I don't try to influence the future by my predictions uh, as they do on CNN, self-fulfilling prophecies, wishful thinking. I give it to you straight. So... I'm going to give it to you straight today. And uh, here's the headline. Um, the United States Constitution provides for trial by jury. This case will not be decided by the jury. It will be decided by the judge. And that's why it's so important who the judge is. What do I mean when I say the case will be decided by the judge? The jury gets to make the vote. They have to vote 12 to nothing unanimously to convict before Donald Trump can be convicted and, and, and sentenced, perhaps, to prison. Uh, but no, it's not going to be the jury. It's going to be the judge. The judge decides how to instruct the jury, what to tell them they have to do in order to uh, convict. And so there are several possible instructions a judge can give. And I'm going to go through each of them. And this sounds a little technical. This is like a law class. Uh, pretend you're in my law school class first year criminal law or constitutional law or uh, the law of politics, whatever course you want it to be. I've taught in my 50 years at Harvard, I taught 50 different courses ranging from fairly traditional legal courses to the law of baseball, to Shakespeare and the law. I always had a new course every semester because I wanted to learn something 
that I could then teach. And teaching a course for the first time is the best way of learning. You read everything possible about the subject. So uh, you're in my law school class now. And the first question I would ask you as a student is, well, what instruction should the judge give on intent? After all, intent is an essential part of every crime. Every crime consists of three elements, um, the act, the intent, and the result. So you shoot a gun at somebody intending to kill him, and that person dies. That's a clear case of first-degree murder. But if one of those elements is missing, if you shoot by accident without intending to kill, and the person dies, in general, that's not murder. It can be manslaughter if it was reckless. Or what if you shoot intending to kill and you miss? That's attempted murder, but it's not murder. For it to be murder, all three elements have to coalesce. It has to be an illegal act, an unlawful intent, and an unlawful result. So let's analyze this case under those rubrics. One of the possible instructions the judge could give, in my view, the correct one, will the judge do it? We don't know. But the correct instruction in this case would be, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, in order to convict of the crimes that Trump has been charged with, it requires specific intent, a subjective intent. He has to have actually known and believed that the election was fair, and he was just lying through his teeth. What's the easiest case? He tells everybody, he tells his lawyer, he tells his son-in-law, tells his friends, tells his daughter, you know, I, I lost the election. I lost the election. It was terrible. I should have won. I would have been the greatest president in history, but I lost. I lost. But I'm going to say I won in order to become president again. Ha ha. Okay, that's easy. That's subjective intent. That's corrupt intent. Uh, all the elements of the crime would be achieved there, even, even though the result was not accomplished. He didn't become president again. That result is not necessary. All that's necessary is that a result like false electors or like instructing the vice president to do something that he was, uh, that would be illegal to do. But that's subjective intent. And if the judge gives that instruction, that makes a conviction fairly well bulletproof on appeal. Uh, be very hard to win an appeal on that ground based on that instruction, especially since it's an instruction that the defendant will have requested. I don't think this judge is going to give that instruction. This judge is not going to do anything, in my view, that in any way uh, favors or grants a a fair trial to Donald Trump. She comes to the case with a strong bias against Trump, um, both from her experience in previous cases where she became the highest sentencer, I'm told, of, of all the people in the January 6th intrusion into the Capitol, coupled with her prior background working for a law firm in which one of the, one of the counsel of the case, she was a partner and he was counsel to the firm, Hunter Biden, and Hunter Biden was also a client. Uh, I think she has a conflict of interest, uh, a very strident and strong conflict of interest, but the firm that she comes from has been frequently accused of conflicts of interest and uh, has been not only accused of it, but condemned for 
obvious conflicts of interest. So I don't think she's going to give that instruction. The second possible instruction would go something like this. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, uh, in order to convict Donald Trump, uh, you have to find either that he knew that the election was uh, fair and that he had legitimately lost the election, the first instruction, or that if he believed that he had won the election, that belief was unreasonable, unreasonable. His belief has to have been reasonable. It's called the reasonable man test. And the reasonable man test is valid in many areas of law and many areas of life, but not necessarily in criminal law cases that require specific intent. There, it's not the reasonable man or the reasonable person, but what this defendant actually actually intended and what he actually believed and what he thought. But the judge could give the reasonable person a test. If the judge gives that, there is a fair chance the conviction, if there were a conviction, could be reversed on appeal based on an improper instruction. Um, but also, if the judge gives that instruction, reasonable person test, and then the prosecution tries to prove that it was unreasonable by doing what it will clearly do, introducing evidence that people told him, people told him that the election was legitimate. His own lawyers told him, his son-in-law told him, his daughter probably told him, uh, his friends told him. He heard it on television. The, the election was fair. Biden won the election. You lost. You lost. Uh, and he says, no, no, no. I know people told me that, but I never believed it. I always thought I won the election. So let's assume that the prosecution introduces masses of evidence saying people told him, people told him, people told him that he had lost. And that proves that his belief, even if it's he held that belief sincerely, is not reasonable. If the prosecution is allowed to do that, then the defense has to be allowed to introduce evidence of people who told him that the election was stolen. And there were a lot of those. There was a, a film, I think it's called something like 2000 Mules, very popular, watched by a lot of people. I get emails about it all the time. Watch the movie, watch the movie. I actually did watch the movie. And, um, and, and, and that supports his reasonable belief that the election was stolen. And so-and-so told him, and so-and-so told him, and people he trusts told him. The former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, told him. Uh, the former Supreme Court law clerk um, told him. And so what you have is people on both sides. Some people saying, you know, you lost the election fair and square. Other people saying the election was stolen. And so how does a jury decide reasonableness based on this kind of conflicting evidence? So that's probably the instruction that the, the judge will give. There's a third possible instruction, but I don't think the judge will give it. The third possible instruction essentially makes it an absolute liability crime. And, and, and it would say uh, essentially, look, the issue in this case is whether the election was actually stolen or not. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have to decide, was the election stolen or wasn't it stolen? Obviously, a D.C. jury would say, of course, it wasn't stolen. Ninety five percent of us voted against them. Uh, that's probably what happened around the country, they will think. Therefore, the election wasn't stolen. Um, 
I don't think the judge is going to instruct that way because then she would be opening the door to relitigating the entire 2020 election. You'd have to have massive evidence coming in on both sides. And the jury would have to decide, was the election stolen or not? No, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think it's much more likely that she will give one of the first two instructions. Either did he honestly believe that the election was stolen and that he won, or if he did believe it, was that belief reasonable? And I think she's going to give the reasonable instruction. And then the issue, and, and the jury will convict based on that, particularly a D.C. jury. But I think a lot of juries would convict based on a reasonableness instruction. Juries generally are going to believe that the election was not stolen. The majority of Americans believe that. And certainly the majority of Americans in the District of Columbia uh, believe that. Of course, that belief often depends on who you voted for. If you voted for Biden, you're going to think the election was fair. If you voted for Trump, you might not think the election was fair. Some people will still, many people who voted for Trump still think the election was fair. They still think that the election was won by Biden, not, not by Trump. But it's going to be interesting to see which, which instruction she gives. The point I'm making is that although in America, every defendant is entitled to a trial by a jury, an unbiased jury, um, in this kind of case, the decision is really going to be made not by the judge, but by the, uh, not by the jury, but by the judge. Um, the jury will generally follow the judge's instructions. And if the judge says you have to find subjective personal belief, um, I think at least some jurors will say, no, you know, this guy Trump, he believed it. Uh, he talked himself into it. He wanted to believe it. We don't believe it, but we don't believe that he didn't believe it. So, you know, we're going to acquit. So there might be a hung jury or even an acquittal. If the judge instructs the jury, no, it doesn't matter what he believes. It matters whether his belief was reasonable then the jury will say, reasonable, well, we're reasonable, and we don't believe the election was stolen. So if we don't believe the election was stolen, it isn't reasonable for somebody to believe the election was stolen. So that instruction is really going to be an invitation to the jury to, to convict. So the judge's instruction is crucially, crucially important. I would say this. I've probably argued 300 appeals. That's a rough estimate. But I've probably argued more appeals than any lawyer currently in practice from a defense point of view. Obviously, prosecutors argue more appeals, people in the Solicitor General's office, but they're from the government's point of view. From the point of view of a defendant, I'm probably among the people who've argued the most appeals. And among the many that I've won, a lot of them were based on the instruction uh, because it's the instruction. That's the law. And appellate courts reverse not on the facts, but on the law. And so if this judge wants to avoid an appellate reversal, she would be smart to give the instruction the defense wants, but that would risk an acquittal. And if she wants to see a conviction, she may not give the instruction that insulates the case from appellate reversal. She may give a more controversial legal instruction that would guarantee a conviction 
but then open up the possibility of a reversal on appeal. These are dynamics that criminal lawyers, particularly appellate lawyers like me, think about all the time. What I urge my clients, if they want me to represent them, is get me involved early. Get me involved the way I was involved in the O.J. Simpson case or some of the other cases. The earlier I get involved in a case, the greater impact I can have on the instruction. And when I get involved in a case early, I frame the instructions, the requested instructions, in a way that maximizes my chances of winning on appeal. That's why I'm called as an appellate lawyer, uh, the God forbid lawyer, the belt and suspenders uh, lawyer, uh, because I'm the lawyer that has to take the case from conviction and turn it into a reversal, like in the Klaus um, von Bülow case and in the many others that I've won on appeal. So the instruction is often the key point. When I'm asked to take a case, in which somebody is convicted, first thing I ask the client to do, email me the instructions, the requested instructions and the instructions actually granted. And I'll tell you, just by having read the instructions, preliminarily at least, what the likelihood is of you winning the case or losing the case. That's how important the instructions are. And so the instructions will be very, very, very important in this case, in this case as well. I'm not suggesting that there are other, aren't other important factors. Obviously, the quality of the evidence, will Trump take the stand? Probably not. Um, but uh, will who will take the stand for the prosecution? Uh, will Pence take the stand and testify that he told the, um, the, uh, the president that he had lost the election? Will he? Well, you know, if that happens, uh, he'll be cross-examined. Um, I got two letters today. I'm not up to letters yet, but I'll read from these two letters because they're relevant. I'm, I'm not telling you I've checked that these letters are accurate, but they seem accurate. So if, if Pence takes the stand and says, hey, I told him, I told him he had lost the election, they're going to quote a statement from January 4th, 2021, uh, which was sent to me, quote, we all have doubts about the last election. I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularity. So Pence will be confronted with his own statement about that. Uh, another statement attributed to Pence uh, that was sent to me. We all have doubts about the last election. Well, it's the same thing. Uh, but apparently he did express doubts. And apparently some of the people who will testify that they told him that uh, the election was lost will have a record of expressing of expressing some doubts about it themselves, and that will, to some degree, undercut um, the testimony. Um, so it would be important to know who testifies for each side um, and what the judge allows into evidence. Now, the judge has to play it fair; it doesn't mean she will, but. If you allow evidence to come in about what people told Trump regarding how fair the election was, that it wasn't stolen, she's going to have to let in equivalent amount of evidence of people who told Trump, look, this election was stolen. Now, one of the reasons that they listed unindicted co-conspirators, such as Rudy Giuliani and Eastman, is that the prosecution anticipates this tactic. 
and they want to preempt it by indicting the people who told Trump that the election was stolen. And therefore, if Trump says, hey, I listened to Giuliani, I listened to Eastman, advice of counsel, I was told the election was stolen. They're going to say, yeah, by whom? By unindicted co-conspirators, or maybe by that time they'll be indicted. So it's a clever, is it ethical? It's a clever tactic to name as unindicted co-conspirators and perhaps ultimately indict the main witnesses that you anticipate will testify in favor of Donald Trump. So, you know, this is complicated. And, and what I try to do is unravel the complications and, and, and make it so that you can, most of you didn't go to law school, and even those of you who went to law school didn't practice criminal law, so I want to make it understandable to everybody. That's always my job as a lawyer. That's what I tried to do yesterday when I went over the opening argument I would make. When I talk to a jury or even to an appellate court, I have to simplify. I know more about the case than they do. I've studied it top to bottom. That's what I try to do when I argued for Trump in the United States Senate or argued for the Constitution on behalf of Trump in the United States Senate. I tried to make the kinds of arguments that senators could understand. You, you can read it. I have, I have a book out. It's called Defending the Constitution. It has the text of my argument in front of the Senate. And I'm very proud of that argument. Um, you would notice something interesting. I didn't mention one word in the entire an hour and six minute argument. I never mentioned the word Trump because I was there on behalf of the presidency and the Constitution. Yes, it was Trump who was being impeached, but I was there defending future presidents um, and the current president uh, against charges of impeachment. I would do it just as zealously if Biden were to be impeached on unconstitutional grounds the way the way Trump was. So stay tuned and I'll be giving you every day while these cases are pending. This is the place to come. This is the place to listen and watch. And you'll hear my analysis. You can disagree. And many of you did disagree. And I got lots and lots of thoughtful and intelligent letters from people who listened carefully and wrote very, very good critiques of what I had said. I got some very positive letters, too, and some letters giving me information, like the two letters from Pence that I just quoted. So let's turn to a few more letters. <laughs> this is a very positive one. Alan Dershowitz, your hypothetical case was so brilliant, no matter you're such a legend. Well, no matter also, I'm so uh, unpopular with some people who don't like my hypotheticals because although the hypotheticals are valid, the hypothetical I gave yesterday, what if it were true, um, is convincing and people don't want that. Uh, they say to me, use your talent to prevent Trump from getting elected. Don't help them get elected. Well, I don't use my talents for either purposes. I use it for, for purposes of defending the Constitution. Um, nice positive things. As a law student, this man is my mentor, my guru. But remember, there are no such things as mentors or gurus or heroes without, without flaws and without controversy. Okay. Uh, I have seen, I have not seen any discussion on what is the possibility of the DC jury finding Trump not guilty but the judge, who is the ultimate decision maker, overturning their decision and finding him guilty. No, it can't happen. The Constitution prohibits that. That's 
Not true in some countries, but it's true in the United States. In the United States, a jury verdict of not guilty is final, final, final. An appellate court can't reverse it. The judge can't uh, reverse it. Um, and if the judge ever did, the judge would be reversed on appeal. So uh, it's a one-way street. A judge can reverse a guilty verdict if the judge doesn't think there's enough evidence to support it. But a judge cannot reverse a not guilty verdict. But it's a good question. And a lot of people probably don't know that the Constitution is a one-way street when it comes to that. Okay. <laughs> this is interesting. You know, for a criminal lawyer, you're quite likable. I particularly like how you pepper your legal discourse with a bit of, of humor. I've always used humor in my uh, presentations, in class, um, uh, in the courtroom. I once won a case based on a joke. So I'll tell you the story. Uh, it was the film called I Am Curious Yellow. It was an anti-war film in the 1970s that had a sex scene in it, which today would get a PG rating, but in those days it was banned. And the defendant, Carol uh, Alexis, who actually just wrote me a letter because he's writing a book about this, got sentenced to prison. He got sentenced to prison. So I argued the case in front of a very stodgy old judge who was a Brahmin, a Rockefeller on one side and an Aldridge on the other side. And he's very, very stuffy. And, and he said, well, I, and I made the argument that uh, as long as you know what you're doing when you go into a movie house, the state has no interest in preventing you from seeing the film. It's not going to cause you to do anything. And so the, the judge said, well, but my maiden aunt once walked into a French movie thinking it was a travelogue and it, it was not. And she, she hasn't gotten over it since. So I said, well, well, I'll tell you a story about that. Um, there was this uh, Jewish guy who was walking around in town in Eastern Europe and his watch broke. So he went into town and looked for a store to have the watch fixed. And he comes upon a store that has watches and clocks in the window. And he says, uh, mister, uh, can you fix my watch? And the guy says, fix your watch? I don't fix watches. I perform circumcisions. I'm a male. I, 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 you know what I do? I says, you're, you perform circumcisions. You're a male. That, then, then why do you have clocks and watches in the window? The man says, what do you want I should put in the window? So I told him that joke and he laughed. And it was part of my argument that, you know, that's why we have X. We don't show the explicit scenes outside. They get to be shown inside. They get to outside. You just see the X. You just see the clocks and the watches. So, yeah, I did win a case once by telling a joke. And the judge, I'm told, repeated that joke over and over again. He liked it. He liked it so much. Um, okay. A um, couple more letters. I've been promoting Alan's podcast wherever I can. He's the voice of reason. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. No, I read this a nice letter. Um, Alan, do you think you could have survived the years of investigation and scrutiny that Trump has endured? Could anyone? Well, I've come pretty close to it. As you know, I was uh, falsely accused by a woman I'd never heard of and never met of having sex with her when she was I don't know, 18, 17, 19. Um, and um, um, for eight years, I was under scrutiny for that. I still get letters, all these letters. I still get letters saying, what were you doing in Epstein's Island? Well, I was there with my wife once. Uh, but 
I came under very, very harsh scrutiny for that. And of course, I survived. The woman ultimately admitted that she may have uh, confused me with somebody else, that she may have made a mistake. But I, I understand what it means to be subject to that kind of scrutiny. I, I have lived a life where I can easily survive scrutiny. You know, I've never done anything wrong sexually. My, I've loved my wife since the day I've met her. And so I had nothing to worry about, but still it, it, it hurt me terribly and it ruined my life for eight years, uh, but I endured it. And, and, and I think people can survive if they, if they fight back and if they do the right thing. And I'm proud of the fact that I did the right thing and fought back. And we'll wait and see whether, whether Trump can or cannot survive. Um, here's one. You, Alan, you obviously have dementia. Duh. I have dementia uh, and shouldn't be dispensing your ignorant interpretation of the Constitution. Well, that's why I have letters from people like you. So people can judge whether I have dementia and whether or not they should take my advice. That's what the open marketplace of ideas is all about. Well, you're always going to get the open marketplace of ideas on The Durst Show. So please uh, keep watching, uh, keep listening, tell your friends about it, and whichever side you're on, and you know, I hope you're not on anybody's side. I hope you join me in being on the side of justice, the Constitution. I remember I used to watch Superman as a kid, uh, justice in the American way. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm for all those things. I'm, I'm very patriotic. I love America. It's the country that rescued my grandparents, if not for America. I'd have been another victim of the Holocaust. So I always thank America for rescuing me and my, my family. And um, you're always going to get a straight pitch uh, from me. I don't choose sides. I don't pick sides. I always side with the Constitution. Sometimes the Constitution sides with the Democrats. Sometimes it sides with the Republicans. Whichever one it sides with, you can count on me being on that side. So... I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.